Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Supermates Husband and Wife Geekcast. I'm Chris. I'm Cindy. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Ryan Daly from the previous episode, number 36. Ryan is the host of the Secret Origins podcast, Flyers and Fishnets, which is a Black Canary podcast, and Dead Both and Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Now, last episode, we each listed our top five most improved villains from Batman the Animated Series. This time, we're going to have a roundtable discussion on the new characters created for that show. After that, Cindy and I will read your feedback to the show, because we're way behind on reading feedback. So without further ado, let's get back to our conversation with Ryan. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're still in Gotham City to talk about villains, but this time we're going to talk about new villains that the creators of Batman the Animated Series gifted us with. And, of course, you can't talk about new Batman animated villains without going for the obvious choice, which would be Red Baby Claw. Doll. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, we both have the same idea, but different. <laughs> well, you know, if you took Red Claw and Baby Doll together... With the outfit of Red Claw and Baby Doll's personality, you might kind of get Harley Quinn, uh, which is, which is <laughs> red who we were. Baby. Red, red Baby Claw Quinn. I don't know. Mo! Blair! Kerr! I gave him the night off, Puddin'. Happy anniversary, Mr. J. You're really swell and okay. It's seven years to the day. Take the night off. Let's play. Harley. Want to try some of my pie? Harley. I'm sure you'll want seconds. Harley, I'm not in the party mood. If you really want to make me happy... Ah! Find the plagiarist who's been stealing my act! (laughs) Sweet kid, but a lousy cook. So, of course, we're talking about Harley Quinn. And she was... I don't think the creators, Paul Dini, Bruce Timm, ever thought that she would be anything but maybe a one-time character... She was kind of the mall character that the, that like the Batman TV series had that, you know, they made one appearance with the villain and the next time the villain appeared, they were gone. Uh, they probably thought the same thing with her. Paul Dini had kind of wrote the character for Arlene Sorkin, who was a friend of his. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you said he uh, he was friends with her, but he remembered a performance she did on what was it? Days of Our Lives. Okay. And um, from my understanding, it was one of those things. She played a real ditzy character on there, and like she. Actually, the person that she ended up marrying on Days of Our Lives, the actor, ended up going going on to play Q on Star John Trek. Delancey. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So there's you know another little mm. you know connection there, but okay. they played ditzy characters. Like she, they she was a mall on there, and he was John Delancey's character was dressed in a gangster suit. It was like a dream sequence. Uh, okay. Wasn't she in like a jester costume at some point or something mm, crazy too. too? I mean, they yeah. were just the zany, wacky characters on Days of Our Lives. Right. Oh, okay. Well, so, and then in later Days of Our Lives had a storyline where What's-Her-Face was possessed and turned into a tiger or something. Uh, yeah, Marlena. <laughs> it's like Dark Shadows wouldn't even have done that. <laughs> hey, if Dark Shadows had gone on for another couple of years, it might have. Yeah, it probably exactly. would have. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But, yeah, so, you know, it, I think he wrote that with her in mind. And, and if you have the Batman animated book, there's this really cool bad drawing by Paul Dini showing what he thought Harley Quinn should look like. And, I, in fact, because now, you know, DC will leave no stone unturned when it comes to Harley merchandise. Nice. Mm-hmm. They're making a statue of that very bad drawing. I think Bruce Tim, I think Bruce Tim cleaned it up and, and straightened it out. But it's, you know, she's got a domino mask. She kind of looks a little bit like the old Green Lantern villainess, the, the Harlequin, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it, that's interesting. But, of course, Harley took off within the series. She had episodes of her own. Uh, she became, you know, almost as popular as the Joker, and in some cases, maybe more so. And now she's like a cottage industry. Right. You know? it's, like, <laughs> it's like her and Deadpool. You know, it's like anything that's red and black. You know, it's. Like, <laughs> I'm sure somebody could, you know, do a psychological study on that. Uh, but of course, Harley was was the breakout, the breakout character, and it was weird. A few years back, I was at a comic convention. And I was uh, looking up at the, you know, they had the wall of, of prestige comics that were actually worth something. And uh, they had all these, you know, golden and silver age books. And in the middle of that was an issue of the Batman Adventures, the comic based on the animated series. And I'm like, and it was, I forgot what number it is. Everybody's screaming at their, it's number issue number nine. I don't remember what issue it is. I have all those, so I don't remember. And I'm thinking, why is that up there? And I'm like, I asked the guy, and then it hit me. And I said, it's a reason, how much is that, how much you got on that? And he told me it was like 90 bucks. I said, he said, first Harley Quinn. I'm like, ah, that's what I figured. And, you know, my brain was Harley Quinn didn't appear in continuity until that No Man's Land special, right? But as far as, you know, comic historians are concerned, concerned that's her first comic book appearance. Mm. So that I don't know if it's still going for that amount of money, but at one point, you know, it was going for quite a bit of money, so... Well, um, this is just an aside that I was just looking at. Um, you know, Ryan and I both agreed that with Clayface, we wish that there had been some backstory as to what he was like before he started working for Daggett and before his car accident. Yeah. Um, and then you said that about the comic books. Well, there's actually a comic book that gives Harley's backstory. Right. Where she went to college on a gymnast scholarship. She started going doing psychology, but... You know, you thought, oh, the Joker got a hold of this poor, defenseless, you know, psychiatrist, you know, and then turned her crazy and da-da-da-da-da. But the fact is, in that comic book, it's revealed she was already sleeping with her professors and everything else (laughs) to get through through grades. And to me, that that is the whole 
thing. As far as Batman might have given them their costume, but they were still going to be bad people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. So. Yeah. yeah, I think that was in Mad Love. Yeah. And, I can't. I, you know, yeah. I and then, of course, they adapted that into the, they did the comic, and then they ended up adapting it into the later, the new Batman Adventures mm-hmm. episode, which, of course, that's, that's the, uh, it's amazing what they got away with in that one, too. We all, we keep saying that, but, you know, you know, you want to, you want to rev up your Harley, you know, <laughs> and there she is in a slinky negligee on a, you know, supposed kids cartoon, but. Uh, so Harley aside, uh, what what characters jump out at you guys that you really like that were new characters? Well, before before that, I I had a few oh, thoughts I'm sorry. on Harley. I'm um, sorry, I should have asked you that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's um, yeah, I, I like everybody. I first noticed her in that Joker's favorite episode, which was a phenomenal episode on every part. Um, but the way they introduced this character, and it was very matter of fact. Like she didn't have an introduction; she was just there. She was she was part of Joker's crew. But mm-hmm. throughout the series, like, I think part of, the, part of what made her so special, part of it was what she exposed about the Joker, that she, she gave a side to this character that you really couldn't imagine before, that he would mm-hmm. have that level of monogamy, sort of, to anybody other than right. Batman, that he would have that right. sort of, like, <laughs> like, like, everybody in his life is so dispensable and so like just ubiquitous he just like just turns them over like they don't matter the only the only per, like his heart belongs to batman that's the only lasting relationship that he cares about right. until you get harley and it's like all of a sudden it's like okay the fact that she would be so in love with him is one level of crazy but right. what is it about her that opens him up and that he that he is drawn to her and it's just it it creates this fascinating just the the amount of questions it poses that what she brings for that character of the Joker is really special. Chris, you talked uh-huh. about um, seeing the comic at a comic convention. One of the most surreal moments for me, I was at the uh, Comic-Con in Boston two or three years ago. And lots of cosplayers, and of course the most popular cosplay there, was the Harley Quinn from the Batman game Arkham City. Yeah. Which is a much more slutty. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you said it first because because that's the only way to describe it. That's the way to describe the Halloween costumes now. It's it's the go to adjective, but it's the slutty Harley from Arkham City where she's just got skin tight leather pants, a leather corset, and like makeup that looks like she's been crying or she's addicted to crack or something. It's kind of hard. Right. So. I'm walking away from George Perez's table and I'm walking behind a guy who's basically just in a t-shirt and cargo pants, except he's got Joker makeup and he's walking with this uh, slutty Harley next to him and coming from the opposite direction, walking past them and eventually past me is another Harley in the exact same slutty costume, just two cosplayers just walking by. And as the one woman walks past us, the Harley in front of me walking with her boyfriend turns to her guy and says, were you checking out her ass? And she <laughs> winds back and punches him in the shoulder. Oh, wow. And he like, dro- like his arm must have gone numb. He dropped his bag of comics and like, and merch or whatever. <laughs> she like hit him so hard, but it was such a surreal moment that she's dressed as slutty Harley and she's jealous of other slutty Harley, slutty Harley. that her boyfriend is looking at. Cause she, and I'm just like, 
my mind is blown. I was like, what the heck? She just asked. She's like, were you checking out her ass? And winds up, punches him in the arm. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "This is why we should have more conventions like this, because you, yes. you you don't you don't see this type of thing, you know, at the airport or at other kind of workplace parties." No, no, that that, that is hilarious. Yeah, and and of course, slutty Harley's what we're getting in the Suicide Squad movie. So, yeah. yay! <laughs> Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's with cosplay. Um, um, Brian Heiler and uh, Jason Lindsay, who do the Pod Stallions podcast, they've got a thing saying that uh, you know cosplay is not consent. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know that's kind of you know you can stare all you want, I guess, but you know, and you're kind of asking to be stared at when you wear some of the, those outfits. But just you can look, but just don't touch. Right? That's, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things because you brought up Suicide Squad, the look, the design of. Harley and even the Joker in that movie. And these are mutable characters that there, there are a thousand different interpretations of the Joker. And there's mm-hmm. really probably not anyone that's wrong. You can argue for any interpretation of the Joker. Mm-hmm. But the versions that they've chosen with the tattoos and, and like the makeup effects, they feel very self-aware and they feel mm-hmm. very cosplay-inspired costumes mm-hmm. which yeah. seems like you're going about it from the wrong way <laughs> like it's right it's the cosplay should reflect what the costumes are from the source material not the other way around mm-hmm. right yeah but, it's like it's the the snakes eating its own tail type yeah. thing or something yeah i agree yeah it's it's definitely got that kind of you know some guy decided to go as the joker to a to a comic convention and decided to go as bling bling joker mm-hmm. you know uh <laughs> with the grill and the, the tattoos and I want to go and, to. A, yeah. I'm going to Comic Con, but after that's over, I'm also going to a Slayer concert. So, <laughs> well, how can how can I dress that appeals to both crowds? So. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, well. I, so of course Harley is the breakout star of the animated series, but uh, there were other new characters. Uh, did you guys have any that that jumped out at you that you were particularly fond of? I had a few. Uh, Cindy mentioned this guy when we were talking about Clayface. It's the character of Roland Daggett. Frankly, I think our Mr. Hagen has outlived his usefulness. I want him dealt with. But Mr. Daggett, the man's a master of disguise. He was even before he had his accident, and you gave him this stuff. Yeah, it's not easy finding somebody who can change the way he looks. You needn't bother searching for him. This is the only place in the world where he can get what he needs. And when his supply runs out, he'll come to us. Similar to Rupert Thorne, he was just the supposedly legitimate businessman who had the the corruption angle that was always fun to play with. Um, and, And just like Rupert Thorne, the thing that... The reason I love the character was the voice actor. He was Ed Asner, which was mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've seen Ed Asner do a one-man stage show playing Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, it was incredible. Oh. Um, the, as a performer, he's great. As a voice actor, he's great. He made the show Gargoyles when he was the voice of um, – was he Hudson or hmm. – Oh, yeah. I think you're right. I yeah. Think so. yeah. I can't think of their names now. I think he was – I think he was Hudson. Um, Probably so. 
but yeah, so that that was really good. And he's also one of the few characters to transition not just uh, to other media, but he was a named character in the movie The Dark Knight Rises. Um, That's he right. Was, he was played by Ben Mendelsohn. Now, a completely different type of character, completely different type of performance, but he he originated in the animated series and went into mm-hmm. a movie before Harley or before anybody else. So that that was cool. That's- yeah. That's a good point. I'd, I'd, I had almost forgotten that. So yeah, uh, we got the uh, the Shazam your Shazam episode background effects in here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're okay, but uh, yeah, that's the the, the cool thing about Daggett. Definitely that the voice of Ed Asner, and of course he went on to I think around the same time he was J. Jonah Jameson on the '90s Spider-Man cartoon, mm-hmm. and and then of course he went on to be. Granny goodness <laughs> within the Tim verse on the Justice League, which was well, Su- Superman and Justice League. Yeah, which was amazing. It's like it's just scary to think of. <laughs> that makes her that much creepier than Ed Asner's voice is coming out of her. <laughs> you know what I'd love because you mentioned her. If they if they end up doing anything with the new gods and they introduce Dark Side and Apocalypse in in the DC movies in their live action movies, I want Linda Carter to come back and play Granny Goodness. Oh no, no, no! You may not sully her. No. No. no, I think Linda Carter's still too pretty to be Granny Goodness. No, just no. You touched a nerve within Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> she can be Lashina. How's that? <laughs> she can be Big Barda. Big Barda. Okay. She's not allowed to be bad. No, that's not. No, my childhood hero. No. <laughs> Oh, That's like I, having you know Christopher Reeve come back and play Zod and something, or I guess, or something. That's, that's just, <laughs> sorry, Ryan, but no. <laughs> All right, agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, you know, one of my favorites that I think eventually made it into the mainstream comics. I lost track after a while. Was uh, Roxy Rocket? What are you doing? Testing your true metal, Batman. Jump now and you'll land in the water. And if I don't? You'll either crash into the canyon wall or hit the ground ahead. So will you. (laughs) Now you understand the game. Time is running out. Better make your move. I thought you enjoyed Risk. Oh, baby, you're the best. The ultimate thrill, the final stunt. Me and you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah! I knew it would be this way. The final stunt is the best. to play another day. What's this? My kind of game. And you lost. 
she actually appeared first in uh, I think it was the Batman Adventures annual number. I think it was number one. And then they transitioned her into the animated series. She was in a few episodes. And I really, I really liked her. And it, it's, it's kind of cool because if you think about it, she is like pitch perfect for that DC bombshells mm-hmm. line. I mean, she looks like, you know, the poster child for that. If you, if you think about it, cause there's a lot of aviation going on in that because they're supposed to look like the paintings that were on the side of the planes in World War II and the pinup art. Uh, but you know, she's got the jacket, she's got the, the, the headgear and the jot of her pants. And, and I, I just really liked her character. She was just, I mean, it, again, it was amazing that they got away with the fact that, you know, she was getting, you know, an erotic thrill out of doing what she was doing. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. that's so they're actually making a, a toy of her in the, uh, and the new DC collectibles animated line of, mm-hmm. of figures, including the rocket, which is like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. That, yeah. Kenner never, Kenner Hasbro never made a, a figure of her. Unfortunately. I'm really, I mean, and I know this will air after it comes out, but the version of DC bombshells, the comic book is coming out Kindle on July 25th. Mm. And I'm really anxious to see how they do that because they've done all this pinup art. How's that going to translate to a comic? To actual so, comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's it's funny how they've they've got they've kind of got several different they've got the uh, was it the Amakami the anime version of them and now they've got this so it's it's interesting how they've got so many different versions of the female DC characters out there and they're selling the crap out of merchandise mm-hmm. uh, for them and of course we're seeing a lot of these characters there's Harley she's been reinterpreted in that and and uh, we'll probably we'll probably see Roxy Rocket. Eventually, I'm, I'm sure they'll do something with her. Do you got any? Did anybody jump out at you? Uh, I've, you got, I've got a few others, but if Cindy wants to go, because Cindy hasn't mentioned one. Okay. Oh no! I mean, it, it was just you know a lot of the ones that Chris has picked. I mean, I'm just gonna. Oh wait, you know. coattails. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you want to go with your next one, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, well, we I I sort of teased it jokingly uh, at the beginning, but the character of the Red Claw, I always thought had a lot of potential. Londoners, your ancient city may pride itself on having survived plagues, fires, even the Blitz, but unless five billion pounds are delivered to me by midnight tonight, there will be nothing left to survive. We have Blair Kwan Castle and its missile installation and the codes to operate the missile. You have one hour. Otherwise, I'll be forced to plant this warhead in the middle of Trafalgar Square. And if I do that, well, <laughs> God save the Queen. Mm-hmm. Just to, to translate as almost a generic leader of a, of a terrorist cell or of a terrorist organization. Um, yeah. Instead of, you know, bringing back inter-gang for the umpteenth time in any, yeah, I mean, it could be any kind of comic, any character. If you needed some sort of new terror cell have it being led by red claw she's got a pretty cool simple but iconic looking design um it's mm-hmm. a it's a strong female character um mm-hmm. you, you know you put her in a martial arts battle against batman or hawkman or whoever you want like just throw it throw her against anybody i think that's a character who has a strong look a pretty mm-hmm. simple motivation and is ubiquitous enough that you could put her in almost any setting in any book um right. so i think i think red claw would be cool yeah, I, I agree there. I think, you know, unfortunately, the cat in the claw isn't 
anybody's favorite episode of, right. of that two-parter. She, did, uh, she came back in like one of the last episodes, right? Yeah, like, The Lion and the Unicorn yeah. with Alfred and Paul. Yeah, yeah, we watched that the other night just to kind of refresh it. She was a lot better. I mean, she was fine in it, but the plot and everything was a lot yeah. more, you know, together in that one. Uh, you know, of course, that was toward the end of the, the first version of the series. And voiced by uh, Kate Mulgrew of uh, Voyager. Voyager. Yeah, Captain Janeway. So, yeah, I, I, one thing I always liked about her and the animated series in general is, is she had a very – they had di- the women had different body types. She was a large, big-boned woman you yeah. know i mean she was no little nymph she looked like she could take you out she was like lucy lawless you know it's like oh, you know. she could lift a tractor over her head yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like yeah yeah she definitely looked like she could challenge some of these guys in an arm wrestling competition like she would be yeah. she yeah that was she and again that goes you put her in a comic she's got a, that physical capability she would be a tough a tough broad so yeah i, I think she, i think you're right i think she had Quite a bit of potential she could have showed back up on Justice League or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, one I really liked that, that they actually did translate into the comics, although I don't think he made too many appearances, was uh, Lockup. Time has come to cleanse Gotham of the real criminals. You apprehend them, Dark Knight, and Lockup will put them away. Together we can make this city safe again. By kidnapping innocent victims? I don't think so. If you're not part of the solution... Then you're part of the problem. You know, he was a security uh, head of security at Arkham. He was so rough, and that the he, you know when Batman and Robin apprehended the Scarecrow, he was begging them not to take him in there because right. he was scared to death of him. And of course, then they find out he's been abusing the prisoners, and they they kick him out, and then he becomes a a self styled vigilante who can't understand why Batman is you know doesn't want his help. Uh, as he, you know, tries to roughly apprehend criminals and people who, you know, he feel that feels did him wrong, like uh, Summer Gleason. I, I kind of liked that he was almost like he had a very Punisher-like quality about him. He kind of looked like Frank Castle, and he kind of had that similar attitude to some of the more extreme versions of the Punisher, especially when they put him up against the more morally upright Marvel characters. So I thought that was kind of an interesting angle, and and Chuck Dixon actually used him uh, a year or so afterwards in a pretty good storyline in Detective Comics, and uh, I think he I think he had potential beyond his both of those appearances. I can't remember them doing much with him after that. They may have somebody probably you know shot him in a panel and like put a bullet in his head or something. <laughs> Seems like what happened to most of the characters from the '90s that. The, the 2000s creators didn't want anything to do with, but um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought he could have he could have been a contender, you know. I agree. There's a lot of use for that for that type of character, especially if you play up, and it's it's a story that's been done a lot in other types of media, but the kind of the hanger on the guy who thinks he would be a great partner for Batman and who thinks Batman needs him, and then feels betrayed when Batman rejects him. Um, mm-hmm. So then you've got that personal vendetta. We've seen that a million times in stories, both superhero and non-superhero stories. Um, but right. that type of kind of classic motivation, yeah, you could bring that back for another type of vigilante, like lockup. So yeah, yeah, kind of like the whole syndrome in the Incredibles. That was, yeah. yeah, I was thinking that exact same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good, good call. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of surprising that he never appeared in the Arkham games, considering. 
they're that's their whole shtick is the you know centering around Arkham. He would be seem like he'd be perfect for it, yeah, and and maybe he has, and I just didn't notice. But as far as I know, he hasn't. Um, so you got you got another one you want to talk about, Ryan? Uh, yeah, the last one that I was going to bring up, going back to uh, stronger female characters, it's you might need to put an asterisk in this one um, because it's Renee Montoya. I have to hand it to you, Montoya. You and the Batman really turned this thing around. Yeah, what a collar. You didn't just bust him, you put the whole gang out of commission. What collar? She's suspended. This farce has gone far enough, Hackle. We've nailed the suspects and recovered our money. The investigation is closed. Officer Montoya earned this collar. The collar belongs to all three of us. It was a team effort. Gee, thanks, partner. Yeah, yeah, you gotta look. What was that, Bullock? I said, thanks a lot, Montoya. Mm. was created for the animated series, yes. but actually appeared in comics before her first appearance in the animated series aired. Right. Um, I guess somebody at DC, they, they found out, like, they, they knew that they were creating the character, they saw the basic look, the basic concept, and they're like, okay, cool, let's, let's throw her in this issue of Batman that has, I think, the ventriloquist. It was one of those mm-hmm. issues. Um, but she was, I mean, she was a, a fun, strong, recurring character. She was a good counterbalance to, to um, uh, oh. Harvey Bullock. Yeah, yeah. So that they, mm-hmm. they kind of, you know, they were, they were good foils for each other. You saw that she was young. She was competent, though. And she was a little bit more idealistic. She was sympathetic towards the Batman. She saw the good that he was doing and the need for him. Uh, incredibly loyal to Gordon. Um, mm-hmm. And then what they eventually did with her in the comics was great. I mean, they elevated her, particularly what um, Greg Rucka would end up doing with the character. And then during, uh, during the Gotham Central book um, by Rucka and Ed Brubaker, um, just pushing that character into, into you know, fresher, darker, much more interesting territory. She had this whole complicated relationship with Two-Face uh, because mm-hmm. he was obsessed with her. And it was, of course, not reciprocated for a number of <laughs> yeah. reasons. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, I mean, she was a great character. I, I Actually, I disliked that they eventually made her into the new version of the question. Right. Um, because I, I felt like there, there are just some characters who don't need who, – who function as strong, otherwise normal supporting characters – in yeah. this world of superheroes. Uh, and it would be like, you know, making Gordon a costume superhero, which they did a long time ago and everybody laughs at it. And now they're trying to do again. Yeah. As if people <laughs> won't be laughing at it again. Bat bunny. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I like the question. I like Montoya. I don't think Montoya needed to be the question, but besides that, her character arc, her history, her appearances in the cartoon and the comics, I was always a fan. I always thought she made episodes a little bit more fun to watch when she was around. Especially Definitely. especially at the, the climax of the Harley and Ivy episode. Um, mm-hmm. When you got the two of them on their, on their um, uh, Thelma and Louise crime spree. Right. Yeah. Driving <laughs> off at the end, screaming, you know, no man will ever take us down. <laughs> yeah. crash the car and there's Montoya standing right over there with the handcuffs out 
Yeah, <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, I, I had a problem with her becoming the question too because they did the same thing to was it Crispus Allen, the, the you know yeah. with, with her partners mm-hmm. that made him the specter around that time, which is like really, I mean, these are good normal. We need normal people. We need mm-hmm. you know, it's like let's not you know let let's let them be normal human beings in this you know in this insane world because they are you know they are our stand-ins you know right. to a point right they, so they, i mean they function they have a very specific function as the normal counterpoint to the abnormal hero that was right i'm going on a weird uh, i'm jumping across to the marvel side of things but in the the hulk comics about 10 years ago when first they introduced red hulk and then red she hulk and then Rick Jones became a version of the Hulk, and then somebody else became a version of Abomination. It's like everybody in Bruce Banner's life was a version of the Hulk. And it's like, right. mm-hmm. do, you, do you understand when everybody – again, Cindy, going back to the line from uh, exactly. Incredible, when everyone's special, nobody is. Exactly. Do you, do you understand basic storytelling conventions that you for these crazy characters to work, you need to show what the normal – person is kind of in relation to them so right i'm that's one reason why i'm glad they he came back a few times that way but i'm glad they never went overboard with alfred being the outsider you know that was a means to an end to bring alfred back from the dead and they they reused him sparingly pre-crisis and i'm glad that's the case because you know, we don't need Alfred running around with little bubbles all over him naked with a white <laughs> with a pair of purple shorts. You know, <laughs> no, no thanks. There's plenty of other characters we could you know talk about, like the ninja. I, th- I always thought Kyoga yeah. Ken, he was cool. Uh, and, and one thing I really liked about him is the creators were like, he's dead. You know that mm-hmm. the at the end of the story he dies. They didn't. They never brought him back. Uh, he did the two part story and. Uh, it was kind of weird. It's like, you know, when they introduced him, it was so simple. It's like, why in the world haven't they made, you know, I mean, Batman had fought ninjas, especially when they, you know, over the years, they, especially post Miller, they come up with this idea that he had, you know, trained in Tibet and the martial arts. They definitely went more Kung Fu with his training, you know? Um, so it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, why didn't somebody think of this before, you know, a single ninja type character to be his adversary? Uh, I think he had a lot of potential to make it into the comics, although I don't think they ever did. Um, I thought the the uh, the Calendar Girl in the one episode, the uh, you know the female version of Calendar Man they did uh, was 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 a neat uh, neat twist. I mean, that she had that very cliched backstory of a disfigured, supposedly disfigured person that was so vain that made him snap and turn evil, and she had. When she was unmasked, she had the tiny little scar. You know, it's kind of that whole Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom thing that Jack Kirby says that's what's really behind Doctor Doom's mask. And Stan says, "No, his face is a mess." You know, right. uh, but it, it worked better in the t- context of of uh, the, the supermodel industry. You know, I mean that made sense there, and and I thought she was kind of a neat. She had a neat visual. Uh, but, of course, we got the Calendar Man in the comics, so I can see why she never, you know, kind of took over there. But, but yeah, I mean, they came up with a lot of, of, of great new characters, and some of them went on to, to be used elsewhere. But as many episodes as they had, you know, they, they were smart not to just, okay, well, let's to have a, not have a Joker episode every week, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody, I don't think any villain ever really weared out, wore out their welcome, you know. 
that I can that I can think of. So, um, any any other thoughts on new characters? What about Baby Doll? You're not my daughter, and we're not a family. We're actors, remember? You cancel our show because you whined you weren't getting enough attention. But I knows now I made a boo boo. <laughs> It was hard for me out there. I studied and trained and auditioned, but no one wanted me. Over the years, I remembered how happy I was with all of you around me and the folks at home watching me each week. Me. Baby doll. <laughs> now I'm baby for good and everyone will love me again. Hugs, hugs! Remember that time Poison Ivy nearly smothered us in those vines with the really sharp thorns? Yes. This is worse. Baby doll. Yeah, we, we mentioned her at the beginning. <laughs> right. I mean, you know. Yeah. Who, who would believe that there was a child actor gone bad? <laughs> <laughs> Writes itself, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. I actually liked the first Baby Doll episode. I mean, I thought that was a neat little twist. You take the, the, ch- the child actor that has the whatever the physiological issue that like Gary, Gary Coleman and, and Emmanuel Lewis had. And then you put that in, in Gotham City, and of course they're going to become a supervillain. You know? Right. And, uh, you know, the kidnapping of the, the family, the sitcom family, it's in, and then the Cousin Oliver character that, right. that Robin was disguised as was, was a great little twist. I mean, he even looked like a grown-up Cousin Oliver, <laughs> which, uh, you know, every, every kid that, you know, grew up watching the Brady Bunch in syndication was like, oh, no, it's a Cousin Oliver episode. Oh, no. You know, it's like, it's the, you know, it's like the happy days. Oh, it's Richie and Ralph aren't on this one. It's going to suck. You know, so it's, it was a nice, like, you know, rip on all the old sitcom tropes. And, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. And as far as I know, they never did anything in the comics with her. I mean, she appeared later in that episode with Killer Croc, mm-hmm. Love is a Croc, which yeah. <laughs> had a great title, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I, that one was okay, but it was, I didn't, I didn't, like I said before, I didn't really care that much for the later version of Croc on there, and, and uh, it, I didn't feel like that one, I, I think they maybe could have left Baby Doll alone rather than revisit her, but. Mm. I also liked her assistant. Oh, Miriam or whatever yeah. her name was. Her, she called her, uh, she called her ma'am. Uh, yeah, yeah. Something, yeah, I forgot what her name was. Yeah, but she, yeah, she was like this, you know. And you could tell Batman and Robin were just, you know, they 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 dismissed her, and yeah. she kicked the crap out of them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was a that, she. She was kind of an interesting character. It's like, what was her story? You know, somebody else that made me think, um, Rupert Thorne's woman. That was one of his. Oh, yeah. And I mean, she handed Robin his ass. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, come here, baby. And she kicked the crap out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She actually appeared more than once. Yeah. She was back on there again. Yeah. That's right. Um, Yeah. I can't think of her name. The real dark haired. Yeah. uh, Yeah. She was, she had a nice, you know, that was a a nice Bruce Tim, you know, female design there on her. So. Ow. <laughs> it was going to come up at some point. 
Oh, so so are we good on new characters? Ryan. Ryan. No, I was actually I was trying to think of the name of um of uh Rupert Thorne's assistant, that woman, because she came back in the Bane episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I can't think of Candace. Candace, yeah, yeah. Candace, that's I think it. it was Candace or something. That sounds right. Yep, Candace, you're right. Yep, yep. But anyway, no, I got I got through all my characters that I was going to talk about. So. Okay, well, I think that'll probably I think we've we've gone through the uh, the animated rogues gallery pretty thoroughly. Of course, we never brought up the Joker, <laughs> really, besides talking about Harley. But you know, the Joker, of course, Mark Hamill's Joker is just pitch perfect, and. To me, when I read a comic book, that's who I hear is, is Mark Hamill. I mean, I hear Kevin Conroy. I hear Mark Hamill. Uh, but, you know, the Joker and characters like him and, and Rachel Gould, they weren't really changed much from, the like, the, the classic version of the comics. I mean, the, the one thing I will say about the Joker is that they actually managed to meld the, the murderous Joker with the playful prankster. prankster joker from the you know the Ford late 40s through the you know silver age very well because he had a very mercurial personality and i mean you never knew if he was going to you know you know pull a prank on you or kill you which it, i think was you know a, a very it, it worked of course for the show because there were limits of what they could do with the character but you always knew underneath that he could kill you. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and even though they couldn't show that much other than in the Mask of the Phantasm movie, but in the Return of the Joker. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, want, I can't really say they, in the context of these other characters, they didn't improve him so much as they just presented the very best version of him, you know. Yeah, I think uh, that's, I mean, that's the way to say it. And, yeah, and, and like we said, the Joker can exist in so many different permutations and so many different versions of the character that it's, I'm hard pressed to find anyone that doesn't feel like an appropriate version of the Joker for whatever context. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was just, you're right. Like they didn't make him better, but they just, they took the best elements of all of these different versions of the Joker to make the one that was best for that cartoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, that's a pretty good way to go out on that. Um, Ryan, you want to let everybody know where they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, I've got a, a number of podcasts out now. Um, probably the most predominant one, the the one that keeps in, the one that is keeping me busiest at the moment is the Secret Origins podcast, where I look at the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the late 1980s. Uh, every episode, I have a different guest helping me cover one of the origin stories of a different character. Chris has been on that show a couple times, and I thank him for that. Um, I also have a Black Canary devoted podcast called Flowers and Fishnets, and a Star Wars podcast called Dead Boffin Spies. And those are, for the most part, coming out monthly now, where Secret Origins is weekly for the moment, for as long as I can get it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you said, you have a finite number of issues you're going to do, right? So you're going to follow the series and which I, which I love, I both love and I hate at the same time. Cause I, I, like I said before, secret origin is like my f- new, it's my favorite new podcast and it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I was on there a few times. Um, I think it's a great idea and you've been doing a fantastic job and, and I hate you for coming up with the idea of doing it first. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very nice. <laughs> hey, 
Hey, he's, no, not, Shag got on he's not the first person to tell me that. <laughs> yeah, Shag got all over him about it. So. Oh, okay. So uh, we really appreciate you coming by, Ryan. Um, we definitely want to get you back on the show again, maybe talk some uh, more animated appearances this time, maybe Black Canary, which we talked about before, yeah. and maybe do a little the Flyers and Fishnets crossover. But we really do uh, appreciate you coming by, and we loved having you. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Anytime. Come by anytime. And and I know we'll be talking to you again. Do you want to hear the origin of Superman or Batman? Of course not. You're listening to a geek culture podcast. You know the origins of Superman and Batman. You've always known them. Your unborn grandchildren know the origins of Superman and Batman. But what about Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, or the Phantom Stranger? What about Firestorm, Sandman, or the Golden Age Fury? Those are just a few of the stories covered in the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. Each episode of the Secret Origins Podcast features me, Ryan Daly, and an all-star collection of guest hosts revealing or revisiting the legends of the DC superheroes and villains. And if you're already sick of hearing my voice on this promo, the good news is at least 50% of the talking on the Secret Origins podcast is done by a terrific guest from the podcast and blogging community. So check out the Secret Origins podcast, available on iTunes and at secretoriginspodcast.wordpress.com. Okay, so now we're back and we're going to tackle the giant mailbag of missives that you sent us uh going all the way back to our uh avengers uh coattail riding episode from you know back in may (laughs) yeah we're we're behind right now so we got some feedback we got some feedback in general at the beginning and then we'll get in the specific episodes so you want to take the first one okay our first one is from jason blakely from june 17th i really enjoy listening keep up the stream left a review on itunes for you thanks jason Well, thank you, Jason. We appreciate all the iTunes reviews, and I think Jason's a new listener, so thanks for writing in. You'll hear a lot of familiar names as we go through, uh, and we love getting feedback. I mean, like we've said before, if it's an old episode, you just started listening, fine. I mean, we'll talk about it, you know. Mm -hmm. If it's episode one, you want to talk about it, I'm sorry that you have to listen to episode one because we sounded like crap. Hey, muddled through. Yeah, we muddled through, but okay. So our next one that we're going to read is from Harlan Freilecker. Loving the podcast. I've been listening to the episodes piecemeal, but I've only got a few left until I'm totally caught up. Your opening sequence would serve as a pretty good summary of my marriage, too. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's one thing a lot of people have. You know, I found out that a lot of people have similar relationships that, that, that we do. They have a relationship similar to what we Maybe do. Maybe I'm the only one stupid enough to do this on a bi-weekly schedule. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> kind of, yeah. You want to take the next one? Okay. Our next one is from Von Z. I started listening to Supermates, and I started with episode one. I like it. I'm going to play catch-up as soon as possible. Cool, Yeah. Uh, and Van Z, thanks for filling in for Nightwing when Superman wasn't available. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so on to episode number 30, Spidey meets the Avengers in our uh, movie trailer talk. Uh, we got a letter from some guy named Rob Kelly. I, have I don't not, know who that is. Who the hell is that? I, I have no idea. Know. I sat outside during a beautiful spring lunch hour listening to the newest episode. Not a bad way to spend an hour. 
The Supermates Theater feature so came out of nowhere, I thought someone had dropped a hallucinogenic <laughs> in my Yoo-Hoo. I have, ex- I, have, I, have, I have expected to wake up in a tub full of ice with one of my kidneys removed. Would it have killed Solomon Grundy to show up during this segment? Yes, yes, it would. <laughs> I don't know if Solomon Grundy and Drunk Iron Man could have... Coexisted. And Brad Garrett as Giant Man could have coexisted together. <laughs> If I could do a Michael Douglas, I should have done Michael Douglas as Giant Man, so, since it was Hank Pym. Mm. But I don't do a very good Michael Douglas. so uh, Or a very good Brad Garrett, but it didn't stop me from doing it anyway. I can't argue your pes- pessimistic feelings toward BVS, which is, of course, Batman v Superman. Maybe I'm fooling myself, thinking this is all some sort of giant plan. Maybe I can't believe the people in charge of these legendary characters could be so stupid as to just make everything a dark slog in each and every film going forward. The addition of the Wonder Woman TV comic makes me think DC should just start a whole new, a whole line of non-52 books with versions of the characters drawn from days when they were mega popular. We have Batman 66, Wonder Woman 77, why not have Adventures of Superman comics set in the 1950s, or near and dear to my heart, a Filmation-style Aquaman comic. Vociferously, adjective, expressing... Feelings or opinions in a very loud or forceful way. Now that came because Rob used that big word and I had no idea what it meant <laughs> in the last few I was back. wondering what that was about. Yeah, that's, that's how far back we're going. Rob had written vociferously in his last uh, email that we read and I'm like, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> so Rob is teaching us new words. Um, Yay, class time! Yes, you know, of course this ha- is, is coming out several months after we've got this and 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 when we first saw the, the the first trailer for Batman v Superman my opinion of that movie has changed i am actually looking forward to seeing it now it is obviously still very dark but i can actually see what rob's talking about i feel like there has to be it is so dark and you get you you there is a reason for the darkness they are whether they originally intended to or not, they are tackling all the wanton destruction in Man of Steel head on. Mm-hmm. You know, I do kind of get that there may be a darkest before the dawn type thing going on. And, you know, with the title Dawn of Justice, you know, the subtitle, maybe that has something to do with it. So my opinion of, of this movie has changed quite a bit. Uh, that second trailer really, uh, really made me look forward to the movie a whole lot more, so... And you too, right? You've kind of mm-hmm. changed because you like Wonder Woman. <laughs> right. And they've actually, I'm not sure if I'll see it the first time it comes out. I know you and Andrew will. Probably I'll wait till it comes to our local theater to go see it. Right. Because, you know, I'm not paying 12 bucks to go see it. Right. But, but before you didn't want to see it at all. Uh, right, right. So, yeah. And they're, they're coming out with a Wonder Woman Barbie, which, funny thing about that, I heard when they showed that at San Diego Comic Con, Somebody tried to steal it. <laughs> tried to steal the Barbie from the site. And they got caught before they got out of the booth, but it was in their bag. And they were going out, and somebody busted them for it. I think it'd been hilarious if Gal Gadot had got a hold of them. <laughs> she, she was there, you know. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you want to take the next one? Sure. This one's from Zeb Oswalt. Great podcast, guys. Your all's reading of this Spider-Man issue was hilarious. I never was a Don Heck fan, though I've seen some Tomb of Dracula stuff he did, and that wasn't too bad. J.R. stuff is great looking. Ant-Man, yep, should be great. Star Wars, we'll see. 
the lady playing the Sith was great on Game of Thrones. So, so we'll see how she does in Star Wars. I have concerns on this movie, but the trailer looks great. Glad to see Han back. Bats versus Soups. I hope Soups wins, but with two main actors, I have no problem. Yeah, it'll be dark, but it might be okay. And we finally get a costume that looks like Bats from the comics. I've seen Affleck in movies he's directed, so if he's given enough room, he should do Bats pretty well. Mike Keaton would have been cool, but they went with Affleck. He should be okay in the role Cavill has done great as Superman, so we'll see. Luther, I'm a bit worried about because of, of the voice. Not that I got a great baritone myself or anything. I just don't see Jesse as the big threat. And if Wonder Woman is in the movie, why not show her? She's another worry I have on this, and not seeing her makes me go, huh. Are they not feeling she's ready? To me, the rest of this looks great. DC has decided to go dark, and for this, it fits. Maybe they'll show shoot soups uncomfortable with the S-Shield gang, and he'll try to better explain his mission here. The Bats fight is how they're going to show how Bats and Soups meet, and maybe by the end of the movie they will gain a respect for each other. Like Soups got with the military in the first Soups movie, i.e. the Sarge saying, this man is not our enemy. I'm wondering what Marvel will do with Spider-Man, and look forward to that. Can't wait to hear your all's next podcast. Yeah, I think, you know, Zeb brought up some good points, and of course, since that trailer we've seen wonder woman and we've also heard jesse eisenberg as as lex luther with the the red capes are coming the red capes are coming mm -hmm. you know which uh, to me he may be the weak link in that movie because i'm not overly impressed with him mm -hmm. he pretty much plays the same character in every movie he's in mm -hmm. and uh and, and the leylands were kind of talking he's kind of like the non-goofy uh Michael Cera, that, I mean, they're kind of like the same actor. They're just, Cera's just a little goofier, and they play the same kind of, I don't know, unaffected character in every film they're in. I hope I'm wrong, and he might be, he might be great in it, but the the comments he made at Comic-Con, did you see that? Where mm. he, he said he, it was his first Comic-Con, and he, he like went overboard talking about how frightened he was and just... He said something about this is what genocide is like or something. It was just, I mean, it was just, I mean, oh the, a guy was just, yeah, it, his comments have been kind of all over the place, but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So, I mean, it, you know, it just might be, you know, him being cheeky or something. I don't know, but he's, he just seems like an odd, an odd duck, but. He might be great in it, so who knows. So now we're going to move on to episode number 31, which is a was the Conway crossover uh, episode with Kyle Benning. Rob Ke Kelly writes, I have not read either of these stories, but now I want to. I know it doesn't work this way, but I would love it if Jerry Conway got royalty payments for this story. And in the memo part of the check, it said regarding Krog. <laughs> the old Krog. <laughs> I love Chris's fat Albert impersonation. Who knew he was the rich little of our generation? Don't encourage him. Hey, hey, hey. You think my voice is okay? <laughs> I might be uh, subpoenaed to court now for doing that, so we might, mm -hmm. we might quit, cut that out. <laughs> the only black spot of this episode was the whatever happened to the man of tomorrow bashing. This will not stand. Sure, the story has a good number of logical inconsistencies, but I still maintain it contains half a dozen moments of real emotional power. And that's half a dozen more than there were in all of the last half decade in continuity Superman stories. Additionally, this will be the one time I will advocate for Kurt Swan's art. 
By having the Superman artist draw the story, it really makes you feel that this is the Superman we've all read as a kid in a series of situations we would normally never get to see. To me, that makes the story immensely powerful. It worked for me then. It still works for me now. Growing up, I never had a single problem with the whole multiple Earths thing, and I was an unremarkable child. I never, I never thought having two Supermen reduced his specialness. The constant universe rebooting kind of does that, though. Hard for me to type with my pants cinched up to just beneath my armpits. <laughs> yeah, grumpy old man syndrome. Yeah, you know, I, I do like, I like the bulk of whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, but that ending, even as a kid, I'm like, why would Superman, I know we've beat this horse to death here, but why would Superman, you know, put leave the world in, in peril without him just because, you know, he broke his moral code? I mean, to me, that's, that's not a very heroic Superman. That's a very self-centered Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, that's just like a, a policeman or a soldier that's willing to to take a life to defend his town or his country or whatever. You know, despite how he personally feels. Right. That you know, so that that just that didn't just didn't ring true with me. So I'd rather have us, you know, the Superman, the two Supermen in this story that are willing to take Krog out. You know, because, I mean, I don't want Superman killing everybody willy nilly, like we said, but. Yeah, so that was it's been so long. I thought I should re-explain my 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 position on that, but yeah, but yeah, there were some good, some very powerful moments in that story, and it was great that Kurt Swan did it. I mean, it gave it a legitimacy that it wouldn't have had otherwise. So Zeb wrote back again on a short one this time. Cool podcast as always. Conway should definitely get paid for Caitlin Snow. Well, you know, we've since heard quite a bit that apparently. There has, uh, Jerry has come along, his situation with DC has come along quite a bit. He's actually working on a Firestorm miniseries. Mm. Um, so that's official now. So I think they're, you know, the situation has obviously gotten better since, actually it was, <laughs> it's funny, it was kind of getting better before those shows launched. But hey, you know, it helped, if it helped bring attention right. to the situation, for him and for other creators, and, you know, it was worth it. Plus, we all had fun, and we all got to promote each, each other's shows, so it was great. Martin Gray, fab show as ever. Thank you. But I'm confused. A couple of times you cited Action Comics 44 as the wedding issue. Oh, hang on. Accent. It's 484 and sounding like 44. Okay, sorry. What do you mean, accent, buddy? We ain't got no accent, son. I don't know where you got something like that from, but... Round these parts, we talk normal American. (laughs) (laughs) Bash away at whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. I hated that the likes of Jimmy, Lana, and Pete were sacrificed to give Superman a supposed happy ending. And that gold K use was weird. It'd have served Superman right if a second later the ultra-humanite or someone had popped up and blasted him to bits. The likes of Bates, Magan, and Pasco could give us emotionally true moments without breaking all the toys. Downloading Kyle's show now. Note, thanks to Martin for including us in a list of some of his favorite comic podcasts over at panels.net. We're very flattered to be considered in such good company. Yes, very much so. I mean, there were some some really, some of our favorite shows and, you know, shows that we've been on and stuff as guests. But, I mean, there were some great shows on there and it was, uh, it was, it was quite a thrill for him when he sent that message and said, hey, check this out. So, thank you very much, Martin. And, of course, Martin... 
is the one that named Cindy Logic last, so we always are indebted to him for that. <laughs> and I told him I would send him half of my salary for that from the show. So, you know, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, so, uh, so we had in between episode, uh, what episode was that? We had episode 31 and 32, we had a Flash mini-sode. Uh, which we, me and Cindy and our son Andrew ran in here after the Flash season finale and recorded an episode and got it up within just like an hour or so. Yeah. Rob wrote in, uh, that guy, Rob Kelly again. I still don't know who that guy is. I know, I'll, I'll read He acts it. like he knows us or something. I know, I know. Rob, yay for bonus episodes. I only watch Flash sporadically, so this was a perfect way for me to keep up without having to actually watch the show. Although, I think I'll go back and catch this one just to see Jay Garrick's hat. If Jay Garrick shows up, I don't give a shit what happens. I'd like to see that on a throw pillow. <laughs> Andrew exclaiming she's hot in regards to Melissa Benoist. You, Benoist as Supergirl chilled me to the bone, as it should you. Oh, yes, it did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you guys have seen what this behavior, if not stopped and addressed early, can lead to later on in life. <laughs> yes, it leads to an irredeemable lifestyle. Oh. <laughs> uh, but you know the difference is, is as I wrote Rob back the difference is, is that Andrew is a teenager and Chag is a grown man and should know better but you know he doesn't so <laughs> yes. yeah actually Cindy Cindy's actually started uh, you know crocheting that throw pillow for you oh yeah yeah. it says if Jay Garrick shows up I don't give a shit what happens so there you go it's got a lightning bolt and a little tin hat and everything yeah, it's cool red background <laughs> red background <laughs> uh Okay, so we got a, another email from Zeb Oswald. Cold podcast as always, Supermate people. Hmm, you're right. The place should have disappeared when Professor Zoom disappeared. Oh, and as for Barry not saving his mom, it was since future Barry stopped him, and he did that because Cisco sees any future he's been in. So he must have seen Flashpoint. And when it got fixed, the new Barry was stuck in the new 52. Thus, future Flash and Cisco saved the viewers from the ugh of the new 52. No goofy metal costume for Barry. Vibe and Future Flash saved us from that. all that. I don't think the guy who played Ollie's dad would be as good as Arrow, with his mom as Rachel Ghoul. Though maybe Merlin would work with Ollie's dad in the casino, as Penguin did with Tom Wayne in Flashpoint. The New 52 disaster was avoided. I'm hoping Killer Frost appears in the multiverse worlds as Barry goes through the different worlds. Though her name definitely needs to be, though her name definitely needs to be named as Killer Frost. I wonder if the real Professor Wells will join the team now, and maybe Tess Morgan. Since the professor is out of time, they shouldn't be dead. Till Barry gets back to the main CW CW verse or the TV DCU. Since Supergirl is now a part of it, hold up! How does Professor messing with stuff not screw things up? But Barry's does. I've decided to let that go. I let it go years ago when Flashpoint happened. I'm hoping the new actor will be Wally West. Just a cousin of Iris now. Maybe call him Max Mercury, since he's a bit old to be called Kid Flash. But he can still meet Linda Park, since she's already there. So, yeah, now Barry knows. Is Cisco seeing all the timelines he's lived through? Ours wouldn't know, since he hasn't, got, he hasn't yet lived through the timeline where Barry saved his mom. But future Cisco would have. Then future Barry goes through the, uh, flashpoint. He fixes it. New 52 happens. Cisco knows it's wrong, so he tells Barry... When he fights Reverse Flash to stop his past self from saving his mom. And their world resets. Maybe the multiverse is created by Professor Zoom not going back and Flash hurting him. Or a way from them to go through the multiverse since Jay's helmet came through. Professor Zoom or Fake Wells sees that 
as a way, sees that as a way of the time-ripped black hole happening. So he goes to run. When he doesn't, time starts to tear. Then the death of Detective Thawne and Zoom not existing causes the big black hole multiverse tear Barry has to close. Or at least making it where he can travel through it, but stop the tear, i.e. prevent the crisis. I'm hoping the main world Cisco becomes Vibe, or Revive, maybe future Barry will tell our Barry what could have happened. Or Rip will, since I'm guessing he'll be part of the fix. Gives Legends of Tomorrow a better start if he shows up there, with Hawk Girl and the others. Adam, Firestorm, White Canary, Captain Cold, and Fire Dude, <laughs> Heatwave, are already established, but the others could use a bit of, hey, look at us, before Legends of Tomorrow starts. Not seeing them needed to help Arrow and the gang to fight Hive. Hope they have other one episode villains though arrow next time through arrow next time and come back and forth to hive and arrow too much of league and assassins hurts his seasons thank you all for pointing out killer frost in the flash museum yes someone at dc owes conway some money since there's killer frost hmm i just thought maybe the flash helmet comes for a world where henry allen gets the flash power and he becomes the flash and dresses like jay garrick like i.e john wesley ship gets to play the flash again team with the new flash Oh, could I have done what Barry has done? Nope. Universe would have been SOL. Sorry, I would have saved my mother. Can't wait to hear the next podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I that's the one problem I had with it. It's like he went through all that and still didn't save his mom. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more it bothers me. But so yeah, there was there was a lot of there's a lot of ways they can go with the Flash episode. But again, like we said when we recorded it. It's been several months now, and already some of those questions that I was thinking about and maybe potential problems, I've already forgotten about them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, those, those months off, you know, give you, you know, a, a, a certain amount of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. I give you a certain amount of forgiveness for when they start back up, you know, so. Okay, so now we're going to jump into episode 32, which was our second Starman Chronicles episode. Another um, response from Rob Kelly. I enjoyed this episode, of course, but I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> okay. Because I still haven't picked up any of the Starman traits. Shame. With all the DC TV series happening right now, it seems like this would make an ideal TV show. Character-driven, light on crazy costumes, with a combo of ongoing and single-issue storylines. Yeah, that's, I mean, exactly. And, uh, you know, it seems like after we did the first Starman Chronicles, I think it was after the first one, I read somewhere where there was some TV show in development that was like a reality show that would have people pitching to make a Starman series, which is just weird, rather than just do a Starman series. And I guess maybe a Starman series would come out of it, but I haven't heard anything more about it, so I don't know if that was legit or just some crazy rumor or a proposal going around. But yeah, Starman's tailor-made for the CW or CBS or to fit in this DC TV universe. Uh, so then we got another missive from Van Z. Just listen to the Starman episode while I was walking. I enjoyed it very much. I don't know which one he was talking about, but thank you, Van, because he was starting from the beginning. So oh, yeah. I put it in here. So, well, thank you. Then we have one from Metropolis Kid 41. Another winner. I could listen to you guys talk about Starman all day. Keep these Starman episodes coming after you guys have taken a break and gotten rested up and refreshed. This is from our buddy Kyle Benning, who was in the Conway crossover episode. Mm -hmm. He's a Metropolis kid. I just revealed his secret identity to the world, just like Lois Lane, tramp. Anyway. <laughs> She's a hoa. 
and uh, not quite a not quite a comment on this episode, but I just want to give a shout out to the irredeemable Shag, who actually shared on his Facebook page, "Do you love James Robinson, Starman? Me too. You should be listening to Starman Chronicles, a special feature on the Supermates podcast with Chris and Cindy Franklin." So thank you very much, Shag. Yes, very much appreciated. So then we're going to jump into episode number thirty-three, which is Wonder Woman seventy-seven, and we start out with a a comment from Derek Crabb that's kind of about the show in general and some of our past episodes, but he gets into Wonder Woman eventually. Hi, Chris, Cindy, and Jean. Catching up on some podcast goodness here with Supermates and the Hammer Podcast, Legends of the Superheroes. I wanted to listen to Legends of the Superheroes sooner, but many of the topics covered thus far are on my to-do list over at History of Comics on Film. Luckily, I've long since completed my videos on the Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder Woman and both Red Brown Captain America films, so I dove right into your own podcast coverage. Although Death Too Soon won't be released for a while, as I'm going in chronological order as best I can, and I'll need to cover a few more specials and cartoons before then. I enjoy hearing the thoughts of us select few elite who have seen the spectacle of these 70s masterpieces. Just pretend that the previous sentence was being said by Darkseid in Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> I also enjoyed the coverage of Starman and was happy you guys got me to read Wonder Woman 77. It was pretty fun, but the weekly schedule definitely hurt the consistency of the artwork. One minute, it's the greatest likeness of Linda Carter and Lyle Wag Wagner you've ever seen, and then the next moment, it's a poor man's Ed McGinnis where the cartoony style doesn't quite work correctly. I agree completely. I do think that for the man who has everything in Superman Annual number 11 pretty much covers the same ground that the Dr. Psycho story in Wonder Woman 77 and Perchance to Dream on Batman the Animated Series did, and I can see the similarities between all three. Chris and Cindy, you are both doing some great podcasting, and I look forward to listening to more episodes soon. Take care, Derek. Yeah, Derek, those, those, those histories of comic on film, that's a YouTube series. You, you guys need to check that out. That is, he does a great job. It's actually, uh, he actually does a great job of covering the history of those shows, but it's in a very fun manner, and it's a heck of a way to, uh, if you're on lunch break at work, that's a great way to spend your lunch hours watching some episodes <laughs> of that. I get a kick out of them. And yeah, you know, he wrote when he wrote that, I'm like, duh, the, for the man who has everything. I mean, it's like, that's probably the original, I mean, there was probably other stories like that before, but that was probably the original comic story like that, where the, the characters put in their, their like innermost fantasy right. And, you know, expected to stay there by a villain. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's a, that's a good good point. Def, definitely a good point. So, thanks for writing in, Derek. I've got another, uh, got another, got a few comments from Rob, but I'll start out with one. Because we had mentioned a movie. Uh, I don't know why in the Wonder Woman episode it come up. It's like, oh, that movie with Michael Douglas and... And Glenn, Glenn Close. Close. And what was that? It was this and that. And Rob Re Fatal Attraction! The movie you're thinking of is Fatal Attraction! <laughs> we just could not figure... I mean, we figured it out right after we finished. And yeah. we're like, oh yeah. Yeah, I was know. like, I ain't gonna edit it in. So, you know, so I'm sorry. Rob, you know, Mr. Film and Water Podcast is yelling at me. Fatal Attraction! <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Rob. <laughs> we have another comment from Zeb Oswalt. Cool podcast as always. The 70s Wonder Woman show was kind of fun to watch. I remember Deborah Winger played Wonder Girl on that show. That mm -hmm. was kind of cool. I may have to pick up this comic later in trade paperback. The Kathy Crosby Wonder Woman was in it too. I only know Dr. Psycho from... Uh, Bill Mesner-Lobes. 
and he put BML. Bill Messner loves. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't and get the that acronym. Junior. Yeah, that's fine. Run on Wonder Woman. A lot of people say that they hate that run. I liked it, and it busted the heck out of Wonder Woman sales. So I must not have been the only one reading it. I also saw Doctor Psycho in Villains Unlimited, and Gail Gail Salmon's run on Superman. So I have a limited knowledge of the character, though he seems like a cool enough villain. Linda Carter was awesome as Wonder Woman. Not looking forward to Gail Gadot as Wonder Woman. Who knows? Maybe she'll pull it off. Too bad Jamie Alexander is under a Marvel contract playing Sift. And as you all said, she'd be great as Wonder Woman. Gal, I'll wait to see I see Soups versus Bats. Just not sure about her. Everyone else seems perfectly cast. Her, we shall see. I guessed wrong on Michael Keaton back in the day, so I will give her a chance till I see the movie. But not so sure about her. Isn't it odd the TV shows with DC are way better than the movies so far? It's too bad to hear Christopher Lee passed. He was a talented actor. Can't wait to hear the next show. Yeah, more on Christopher Lee later. Ruth Sutherland wrote in, I just finished listening to the Wonder Woman 77 episode. Thoroughly enjoyed your enthusiasm for the TV series and the comic. We love both as well. Linda Carter will always be Wonder Woman. Yeah, buddy. That's right. And <laughs> uh, uh, Ruth and her husband actually host the uh, Trekker Talk podcast, which we ran a trailer for a while back, so check that out. Also, don't forget that the Wonder Woman ornament, the Linda Carter Wonder Woman ornament, came out at Hallmark in July that's out, and it is selling out at all the different Hallmark shops. Mm, and it plays the theme song. Yes. So yeah. anybody that's a Wonder Woman fan, go get that, support it, and that way they'll make more stuff like this. Hint, hint. I was really bummed out that they didn't do another Universal Monster this year. I know, because it said on the box, they, last year for 2014, they did a Frankenstein monster, mm-hmm. um, and it said first in a series. Yeah. So, but maybe they're going to announce that later. Maybe that's something that just hasn't been announced. It could be. I was expecting to see either Dracula or the Wolfman, you know, this year. And I was kind of bummed that we didn't get that. I mean, there's some other good, really good ornaments, but not that, which stinks. From Rob Kelly, great episode. Like Chris, I always assumed the 40s episodes of Wonder Woman were better than the later ones. But maybe that's not strictly true. Though the whole Wonder Woman hits on her old boyfriend's son who looks just like her... Just like him is kind of creepy, you think? <laughs> um, for many years, Linda Carter wanted nothing to do with Wonder Woman fandom. I remember she never did cons or interviews about the show. But at some point, I guess she finally got comfortable with her place in history and now embraces her fame as the amazing Amazon, which is nice to see. As you point out, until next year, she is the only Wonder Woman for anyone to latch on to. Well, and think about this. In Sky High, the Disney movie that came out about 10 years ago, she basically played Wonder Woman. And she even says at the end, I'm not Wonder Woman. You know, it's like she's walking out of the room, yeah. And she is one good-looking lady. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She really is. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got a letter from Hey Gets Comics, uh, which I'm assuming this is Andy, because I'm I'm sure Michael's busy. But, you know, we we could pull the same gag on them that they're always doing on us that says, you know, that Andy just dictates it and and... Michael Mike happens to type it out. Types it out. So, <laughs> Anyway, excellent show. Like you, I'd kind of dismiss this show as campy with the best bits both belonging to Linda Carter, but the Horror Channel, of all places, started a repeat run last year, and I was pleasantly surprised by how entertaining it was. The Horror Channel? <laughs> That's weird. That is weird. I mean, what's horrific about Wonder Woman? <laughs> the fact that you can't have her? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. So now we're on to episode number 34, which was the first part of the Adventures of Captain America, the Sentinel of Liberty miniseries. 
And we have a comment from Count Druncula. That, which is Ryan, who was on this show earlier. <laughs> That's right. Um, awesome episode for the 4th of July holiday, Chris and Cindy. I've never read the Sentinel of Liberty miniseries, so it was nice to hear this preview review of the first two issues. Sounds like a really enjoyable read, and I might have to track it down sometime. I think Fabian's last name is pronounced Nisiazi. Nisiazi? Nisiazi is what he says, so mm. he might be right. Because that's the way I heard it on a roundtable interview with X-Men writers, included with a VHS copy of Night of the Sentinels, sold at Pizza Hut back in 1996. Great job, as always, Supermates. Now I feel like watching a cat movie. Yeah, go watch some Red Brown. <laughs> that's just mean. <laughs> no. I just got to get say Red Brown in, in every episode here lately. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, I've become the Red Brown apologist or something. I don't know. Um, I had those. You're like a one-man fan club, which you are. <laughs> I'm like, freaking crap. <laughs> I mean, I was asked to be on that particular show. We all discussed that, and I politely declined. <laughs> yeah. It's right up there with the 70s Spider-Man. Yeah, me and Gene had some good, we had a good time talking about that, though. That was that was a fun episode of uh, <laughs> Legends of the Superheroes, so definitely, like I've said, check that one out. Um, the I had that X-Men video that came from Pizza Hut, too, and I but I don't have a VCR working right now, so I couldn't I couldn't check it if I wanted to. So, but yeah, they're around, it's around here somewhere. So, now we've got a uh, letter from a new uh, listener. Our new writer, at least, a new responder, Jeff Nittleton. And Jeff wrote, Hi, guys. I just started listening to your podcast, sampling the last episode with Wonder Woman 77 and the previous one relating the Kathleen Crosby Wonder Woman. I enjoyed them both. I still remember watching the Crosby pilot when it was first broadcast, somewhat puzzled by things, though I hadn't read a ton of Wonder Woman comics at that point. Fun episodes. This one is a bit of a treat. I seem to be about the only person at my comic shop, the long-gone Final Frontier in Charleston, South Carolina, when I was stationed there, who got this miniseries. Marvel really seemed to drop the ball on Cap's 50th in terms of marketing. However, this had Kevin McGuire, Cap's origin, and a decent-sounding take. I loved it, especially the ideas that Steve would undergo physical tests and training even before administering the serum. It had a nice combination of the pacing of a movie serial and a modern comic book, a nice mixture of old and new. However, I was worried that it would be Cap's 60th anniversary before they finished the series. <laughs> McGuire had real problems keeping up on this one, leading to his departure by the end. This was, as far as I can recall, the first depiction of scale mail. Although, I think it's somewhat inspired by how George Perez did chain mail. He had a tendency to draw it in circles to, to suggest the links, but never captured the look of actual mail the way that Hal Foster or Wally Wood, who idolized Foster, did. McGuire seemed to take it a step further into full-on scales. Thing is, it was always explicitly stated that Cap's shirt and hood were chain mail, which is different. Chain mail consists of interconnected metal rings and is more flexible, creating more of a mesh. Scale mail are overlapping scales, which creates added weight and is more limiting. However, once artists started copying McGuire, Cap's suit suddenly became scale mail. It was kind of like Todd McFarlane in the big spidey eyes and spaghetti webbing, which he got from Michael Golden. Hmm. I've always enjoyed the story, especially how Bucky was given more of a personality than in previous works. The resolution was a little uneven, though the battle with the Red Skull was pretty good. But it was a pretty darn good miniseries. It's too bad the regular series didn't quite reach these levels at the time, for my money anyway. 
This was kind of a frustrating era of comics. This thing had long delays. The Mike Grill James Bond mini from Eclipse had massive delays due to Eclipse's cash flow problems. Batman Grindel was on the shelf thanks to Comico's bankruptcy. JLA Avengers was dead and buried. Mage 2 seemed dead. First Comics was soon to go belly up, and the speculators and gimmicks were making a mess of the mainstream. Some of these books would eventually arrive, but a lot of my favorite independents went under. Anyway, enjoyed the podcast, and am looking forward to part number two. Uh, he wrote a P.S. One of the few items Marvel did put out around this time to commemorate Cap's anniversary was a Sentinels of Liberty replica badge. I got mine, which I still have. There was also the infamous two-volume hardcover and slipcase edition reprint of the Simon and Kirby Captain America 1 through 10 for a whopping $75. I picked that up just before they were pulled from the market due to someone sneaking a drawing of genitals on Bucky. What? <laughs> I, I did not know. There's something in the back of my mind that I remembered something about that. I don't know if I, it was when I was like still getting Comic Buyer's Guide and it was in there or not. I don't know. It was hard to spot since it appeared to have been done on the yellow color plate and the glossy paper tended to reflect enough light to obscure it. When I heard about the book being pulled, I went home to check my copy and took about three passes to spot the offending panel. That I don't, that I don't have anymore having sold it sometime back. <laughs> That's kind of like that. Have you heard the story about the Star Wars trading card with C-3PO? No. Somebody, some artist at Tops decided to be funny and give C-3PO a, a penis on, oh. on a card, on an early Star Wars trading card. Oh. So it's got this robot, you know. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can find that, then, yeah, I think that card is supposed to be, I don't know if it's worth that much. I think they're fairly common, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did not know they did a recreation of a, a replica of the badge. I'd like to have that, the Sentinel Liberty badge, because that was the old, you know, join the fan club, send it in, get the badge, you know, like they, you know. But this is a replica of it. I mean, I obviously couldn't afford the, the real thing, but. <sighs> so the Christmas list begins. Yep. So you want to take the next one? Sure. Rob Kelly wrote in again. Great episode. It didn't occur to me until Chris said it, but I think Cap is my favorite Marvel character, too. See, great minds think alike. That's right. Growing up, my two automatic Marvel buys were Star Wars and Avengers, so there was never one character I focused on like I did with DC. Looking back, I bought Cap for a while, and I always liked the character, both as a solo star and in team situations. Plus, there's this picture. Which shows a picture of Rob. It's probably, I don't know if it's... Rob's always talking about his mountain comics when he goes to the Poconos. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like he's on vacation He's because he's standing near a lake. And he's got a really cool Captain America t-shirt on, which I would have killed for when I was a kid. So, mm, yeah. <laughs> Loving this show every single episode. Keep it up. Oh, and you guys have been together 25 years? Truly impressive. Yeah, it's truly impressive she's put up with me that long. <laughs> yeah, but see, honey, like I tell everybody, I got you when you're young, so I molded you into the, uh, the husband you are today. Yeah. It took time. And you're happy with that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a big sweetie. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, talking about the, the uh, Rob and his cap t-shirt, I think the only Captain America t-shirt I had was my underoos shirt. Mm. And actually, it's... In Danny's drawer right now, yeah, both is. kids wore it, and it's beat all the hell, but they've both worn it, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Zeb Oswald wrote again, cool podcast as always, guys. I think I read the last issue of this comic. I remember McGuire drawing a trade paperback of Cap years ago. 
I also had the Cap action figure from the Secret Wars collect- collection and Wolverine, as well as Daredevil. I think I had the Cap Mego toy as well, along with the Green Arrow one and Batman. But can't wait to hear the next episode. Yeah, the uh, the Secret Wars. It's kind of interesting because the Secret Wars Cap. It was cool. I had the Mego Cap too when I was a kid. Uh, but the Secret Wars Cap. It was cool to have him, but he did not come with his regular shield because they all had those secret shield things with the little flicker, you know, send a secret message thing. And, uh, you know, so gimmicky. And Gentle Giant's actually making 12-inch reproductions of the Secret Wars figures and superpowers. But they're not doing the secret shields with them, but they've included Captain America with a regular shield. So they're correcting something that's been wrong for like 30 years now. So that's cool. Okay. Our next one is from episode 35, Captain America part two. And we're going to be reading one from Jeff Nettleton. Hello folks. Enjoy part two as much as part one. I actually dug out my copies to follow along this time. It really is jarring to see Kevin McGuire drop out and other hands take over. It really disrupts the rhythm of the story. I remember being really disappointed at the time, though the story itself is still engaging enough to keep you involved up to the end. Still, it felt like someone pulled the chair out from under you by the time you get to the end. Couple that with the, the Pion movie not being released in theaters, thank heavens, and it really felt like Cap's anniversary was a non-event. In a way, it was kind of a sign of things to come for Marvel as the 90s would progress. I agree with you that the diner scenes are very chilling, but effective. I like that most of it is implied, allowing you to fill in the blank with your own horrors. These days, we probably see things blow by blow, slice by slice, complete with viscera and gallons of blood. Mm -hmm. Still, Timely had a bit of a rep of being grisly, and Cap was no exception. Some of those Alex Schomburg covers could get pretty gruesome, though not as much as the Lev Gleason comics. That's true. While I get the absurdity of the red skull and the armor in issue four, it fits with the Nazi fantasy of them being modern Teutonic knights on a crusade. Hitler and the other Nazi officials had paintings done with themselves in armor, and those symbols were used heavily in the Nuremberg rallies. So I always thought it was very fitting. I just wish it could have been drawn better. Yeah, same here. The abrupt arc change is really the weak part of things. I was a naval officer at the time this came out, and I really hated how badly a lot of the weaponry and the uniforms were drawn. I was groomed on DC War Books and Sergeant Fury and Invaders, and those books always got the stuff right. This made me grumble, especially when a tank is outrunning a car. <laughs> yeah. Tanks aren't noted for speed thanks to the armor. Their advantage is they can, roll, uh, they can roll over and through things. We could have used a bit more of that apart from Bucky's entrance into the arena. True. On the whole, I enjoyed the story, then and now, and thought it was a great year one story, the big trend of the era, before everyone was doing zero issues. It puts a nice spin on the classic Simon and Kirby story and really does a great job of developing Bucky as a character and not just a sidekick. McGuire said their influence was Ferris Bueller, and I can see that. Oh, that that's cool. I, that's yeah. It's what you see. It's like I could totally buy Matthew Broderick as yeah, Bucky too. in that story. Until he said that, I'm like, oh yeah, you yeah. know. So, <laughs> a couple of notes about some things mentioned. One, definitely pick up that Kevin McGuire Modern Masters if you can, and I definitely will. There is a whole chapter devoted to this project. McGuire was greatly involved in plotting the story, and he talks about how he had been used to grinding out a monthly series and producing a set number of pages, but he started falling behind due to the length of each chapter. He said he wasn't surprised to see himself replaced since they really wanted this for 1991. 
He and Nasezia had been working on it since 1989, starting with the conception of the story. McGuire says Nasezia's first idea was a modern story involving immigration, but McGuire wanted to do something like Raiders of the Lost Ark and suggested a 1940s serial. He also confirms that he did a fair amount of issue 3, but nothing on issue 4 apart from the cover. It's very illuminating. He watched a lot of serials as research, though not the Republic Cap serial, which brings me to point 2. According to stuff I have read, it appears that story was never intended for Cap. It is very likely that Republic had conceived the plot around the Fawcett Comics hero, Mr. Scarlet. One, they had already done Captain Marvel and Psy Smasher, the two leading Fawcett heroes. Mr. Scarlet was number three when they were doing the serials. However, he was quickly dropped as a lead feature, so there was no real tie-in. Two, Mr. Scarlet was a crusading district attorney who carried a gun and was named Brian Butler. In the serial, Cap is a crusading district attorney who carries a gun and is named Grant Gardner. Three, it wouldn't be the first time that Republic repurposed a script. The serial The Mysterious Dr. Satan started out as a Superman script, but National DC passed on it. So Republic created their own hero, Copperhead, to take Soup's place. Also, if you want a nice Easter egg, watch the first episode of The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. When they show Krypton, many of the Kryptonians are wearing costumes that were originally used in many serials, including Flash Gordon and Captain America. If you look quickly, you can see someone wearing the Republic cap costume with an armored collar thrown over the top to help disguise it. I can't recall, but you might also see the Captain Marvel suit or part of it. Anyway, another fun episode. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that about uh, Mr. Scarlet. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because Bucky wasn't in the Captain America serial. Of course, he wasn't Steve Rogers, and they pretty much changed everything. He didn't have a shield. But uh, Mr. Scarlet had a sidekick who is infamously named Pinky. Mr. Scarlet and Pinky. <laughs> mm -hmm. They actually show up in a Justice League story in, in the uh, in the 70s, which, it, it, oddly enough, I think at the time that, uh, you know, DC... DC didn't outright own Captain Marvel at the time. They basically licensed him from Fawcett. And my understanding is they used those Fawcett characters and they really didn't have the rights to them. I've heard that. Mm. So it's kind of like, whoops, <laughs> they used them. So they really only used them the one time. And then years later, they finally got the rights to them. And that's why some of them showed up in the Pirate Shazam book. Yeah, if you go to, he, he was bringing up the, the, the first episode of The Adventures of Superman, which is Superman on Earth. You will definitely see the Captain Marvel costume. You will see uh, Buster Crab's Flash Gordon costume. Mm -hmm. And I had not caught Captain America, but he says, you know, it's partially covered up. But if you right. look, you can see it. So I'm going to have to check that out next time I watch it. But yeah, I caught that before. It's 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 really weird to see, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because at that time, that episode was filmed in 1951. And DC and Fawcett were still in legal battle over Captain Marvel. And they didn't cave in until I think it was 1953. They finally like, fine, you know, we give up. You know, they just, they couldn't go. Like, it wasn't worth it. Captain Marvel's and most superhero comic sales had slagged off enough that it wasn't worth it to fight for it anymore. Gotcha. You know? So they just finally, we just won't publish them anymore, you know, and they settled. Uh, but <laughs> here's DC or, you know, an offshoot of DC, you know, uh, making a movie using Captain Marvel's costume uh, from, yeah. <laughs> on a TV show. I thought that was funny. Uh, so Rob had another uh, letter on this one. 
I remember getting this series in the beginning, but then not continuing with it. I don't remember why, but now that I've heard this episode, I wonder if it wasn't because McGuire didn't continue with the art. Maybe I opened book three, saw the art change, and put it back. Reminds me of Batman Year Two, where after one issue, Alan Davis was replaced by Todd McFarlane? Yuck. <laughs> by the way, Cindy's chortling at testicular perforator was just downright insensitive. <laughs> That's funny. Testicular perforator. Let's say it again. Uh, you know, when Rob, when I read that, what Rob wrote, I'm like, duh, Batman Year Two is like the ultimate switch of artists. I mean, you get Alan Davis in his very, very clean, semi-Neil Adams style in issue number one and the previous Detective Comics before that of, of Batman Year Two. And then part two of Year Two, it's Todd McFarlane. Totally different. I mean, that's like totally, totally different. And, you know, it's like if Todd McFarlane had done the whole thing, it you know, been fine. Because back then, I actually, I, Todd McFarlane was one of those artists, as a kid, I really liked. But now I look at it and I'm like, why did I like that so well? I just, I don't know. I mean, there's something to it, but it's just, it's not something I appreciate now. Mm. You know, so, I, whereas I still love Alan Davis's stuff. We got one more missive from Zeb. You want to take that one? Cool podcast as always, and this was the book I read the tail end of. These issues I remember reading as a teen. Y'all did a good job of covering it. Can't wait to hear the next podcast. Well, thank you, Zeb. And thanks to uh, everyone who wrote in. And, uh, you know, definitely keep them coming. Let us know what you think about these Batman the Animated Series episodes. And uh, we'll try to not get so far behind. I also want to thank Ryan for stopping by to discuss Batman the Animated Series. Uh, we definitely want to get Ryan back on. Maybe to discuss some animated appearances of Black Canary, which we talked about before. But you'll definitely hear him on here again. And I think I'm supposed to be back on Secret Origins at uh, at some point. And, uh, and I think he invited you to come on, too, as well, if you find something you want to talk about. So Right, right. So, so what's next? Well, we could tell you, but uh, why don't you just uh, take a listen to what's following, and, and then you'll know. So we'll sign off for now, but take a listen to this, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. It lives. Master, it's night again. Beautiful, dark, silent night. With the fog creeping in. Time for you to awaken, Master. Time for you to go out. Something terrible has happened. You dared open the barred door. Believe me when I say that what you're doing places yourself and the rest of your party in the gravest danger. Inside lie monsters greater than your worst nightmares. They were all evil in life and remained evil after death and now the terror is loose upon the podcasting world again it's not in my power to help you you're the only one that understands nobody else in the world will believe me this september and october dare to visit supermates estates to walk the halls in this hall of horror this abode of angst return to the House of Frankenstein.
legends of classic horror spread their evil. But fear not, for your favorite heroes are here to challenge them. Do me a favor, Shaggy. <laughs> Beware these masters of the macabre. Bella Lugosi. Your fate is to be what you are, but mine is to be what I am. Lon Chaney Jr. There's a curse upon me. I change into a wolf. Christopher Lee. I am come unto thee, O Osiris, who art cleansed of all impurities. Peter Cushing. Consequences? It sounds like a threat. And Ingrid Pitt. You must die! Everybody must die! Is Supermates Comic.blogspot.com production coming soon to an iTunes near you? Return to the house of Frankenstein. They are just dying to greet you. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises Worldwide. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue my mommy and daddy. <laughs> Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at our blog at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Supermage Podcast. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast.